Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority Podcast. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 146. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's always a good time after a long, hard day of work. Just cozy up with a nice, cold, ice-cold Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. And with that said, let's bring in a gentleman who has been on the show more than anybody else on the Red and White Authority. Of course, you know who I'm talking about. It's Craig Button. Thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you here on the Red and White Authority. It's always my pleasure to be part of it, Art. I mean, we have a lot of fun talking about a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, it's uh, to be the 146th podcast. You know, it'd be interesting for me. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew this about Glenn Sather. When he was coaching the Edmonton Oilers, uh, if a player was approaching like a milestone goal, like let's say goal number 200, he, he might have kept the 198th goal or the 201st goal. And uh, you know, then as a, as a memento, he ended up giving all those pucks back to the players. Really? Yep. Huh, that's pretty interesting. I, uh, I don't know what I could actually get as a podcast, uh, you know, but uh, but but we'll see. I mean, I can't believe we've got, we've done 146 of them, and it it seems like you've been a guest on a hundred of them. But uh, you know, which is always fun and great to do. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I, I really want to get right into the uh, what's going on in the NHL. We're doing this on Thursday, uh, the uh, uh, May 22nd, uh, or pardon me, on Friday on May 22nd, and. Um, I'm kind of curious. Last night, the executive board of the players of the NHLPA um, uh, were proposed and had a, a, a kind of a conference call between them. Luke Glendening is the Red Wing representative, and they're going to vote on this latest proposal, which is a 2014 playoff with a couple of hub cities. I don't think the hub cities, although it, it does appear that Vegas may be one of them, uh, perhaps Toronto, Edmonton's going hard at it, and there's a number of them. There's still eight or nine, uh, but... Uh, uh, we will, uh, um, I want to get into this as far as, uh, this proposal, you would have a, a play-in of, of teams, uh, uh, eight teams from each division, uh, from each conference play each other, uh, three out of five, uh, the top four seeds in each, in each conference would have a buy. Uh, a lot of people do not like this plan so far. Uh, Craig, what is your thoughts? How do you think this is going to shake out? Well, I, I think that there's a lot of strength to the idea. And I think most importantly, Art, it, it's been a collaborative effort to this point in time uh, with the NHL and the National Hockey League Players Association. You know, when, when you're dealing in, 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 with a scenario where there's no playbook, there's no manual where you can flip back and go, what did we do during the last pandemic? It, it, it requires some innovative thinking. It requires creative thinking. Uh, you, you have to be imaginative in, in terms of what you're trying to do. And I think what, as the proposal, you know, grew, you know, it, it came as a result of the NHL and the NHL Players Association having discussions. And, you know, the, some of the discussions led to, okay, there's five teams that clearly have, you, you know, no right to be in a playoff or have a right to get into a playoff. So why do we have them? You know, so you're going to have you know, teams 25 and 26 that can be disappointed about being left out because they're close, but there's not going to be any perfect solution. And 
But, you know, considering, you know, the economic impact of the pause, and, and, and this isn't just in, in professional sports, it's in all industries. And right. all industries are trying to find a way to, to come back in a safe manner uh, and, and trying to start moving the economic train forward again. And, and it's no different with the NHL. There's safety issues that have to be addressed. There's going forward issues with respect to the salary cap and escrow, uh, broadcasting rights. You know, what, what does it all mean? But, you know, with, with everybody working together and everybody trying to understand, you know, number one, what's the main goal and, and what are we trying to achieve? And then taking it from the different stakeholders and asking them, okay, what's important to you? Can we live with this? We understand you may be disappointed there, but 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 I like it, and I think that in 1990, not I don't think in 1995 and 2013, we had abbreviated seasons, 48 game seasons, that resulted in a Stanley Cup champion, and you know we, we played just about 90 percent of the NHL schedule, and you know it gives an opportunity. Uh, to, to more teams, if you're not going to finish the regular season, to have some more games to try to work on that economic movement forward. And, and, and I think that that's positive. And I think that the, for, for me, when I look, look at it, the collaboration is key here. And, and, and that collaboration has to continue. But there's going to be people that teams or managers or owners or some players that, that, that are going to have alternative ideas and everything. But, but this is the time when we have to look at, at, at ideas that, that relate to this scenario and this scenario specifically. We can't be trying to apply uh, solutions from a normal situation to this situation because it, it just doesn't apply. Right. You know, I certainly would great if you, if you could just apply rational thinking. But at this point where we're at with the COVID-19 pandemic, you're absolutely right. And uh, I mean, certainly they want to play. I, I, what I find intriguing about this and uh, yeah, I'm disappointed. I know Red Wing fans would be disappointed because the Red Wings, obviously their season would be over at this point. And we'll talk about that and how it may impact them in the draft when we get into our draft discussion. But I kind of like these best of three matchups, and I can see where maybe some teams are, are, are upset. I mean, in the East, you have Toronto and Columbus who would play Boston, and then they become best uh, four out of seven series after, after this first round. The Islanders versus Florida would play Tampa Bay. Colorado and the Rangers versus the Caps. Pittsburgh and Montreal uh, would play Philly. And then in the West, you would have the Flames and the, and the Jets would play the, the they would play the winner of that series would play St. Louis uh, Vancouver Minnesota would go to Colorado the winner of that series and then the Predators in Arizona would play the Vegas Golden Knights and then the Oilers and Hawks which would be real interesting would end up playing Dallas so I I would imagine if they can adapt it and and first and foremost as you said Craig safety is the big thing if they can work all out all the particulars and there's going to be a lot of them that this is a pretty intriguing system because once you start playing, I think we're going to see some pretty interesting and competitive hockey. Well, I, I agree with you, Art, and we'll see competitive hockey because the players are competitive. And you, you also consider, you know, what will it look like? How, you know, how will the players feel? No fans in the building. And, you know, what are the broadcasting partners and, and everybody involved with broadcast going to try to do to try to create, you know, an atmosphere that can, you know, make the players feel a little bit more comfortable. 
but, but everything is unprecedented. And, you know, you, you look at the opportunity for, for those four teams in each conference to go through a, a series of games for seeding. And then those other three out of five series, you know, those will be highly competitive because eight teams at the end of that at the end of that cycle will be finished and, and we'll have 15 teams that are no longer playing. And, and, you know, when we go back to the timing of everything, you know, understanding, you know, from a player's point of view, you know, what they need in terms of training, what that means for how much time off they could have. Like, let's, let's just consider the Detroit Red Wings. So you look at the Detroit Red Wings. So if they're not playing, that means they would have played in March. And if the season doesn't start till December, well, that's a long time off. So, you know, what, what are you trying to do to, to help those help those players? What, what are the concerns, you know, for, for their training and getting back in for next season? Because next season will be very important as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of things as you talk about, but this is a scenario that last happened 100 years ago. 100 years right. ago. And right. I'm not including wars. I'm talking about a pandemic. But 100 years ago, and, you know, so everybody's going into it with some idea of what happened back then, but it's only an idea. It was a very different time. And so now trying to understand how we work through this and work through it together. And, you know, whether it, whether it be hockey, whether it be uh, the, the education system and other industries, everybody is trying to work through this uh, situation where there, there really is no precedent. It's, it, you bring up a lot, and I don't want to get into the particulars because this hasn't even been adopted yet, although I think in, in the way I understand it, if, if this executive board of players, the 31, is, for lack of a better term, union reps uh, uh, approve this, this is going to be the way that the league is going to move forward. But I'm kind of curious, we had Giovanni Smith on the, uh, the Word on Woodward program, and, you know, he was under the impression that if the season did resume, even though he is a Grand Rapids Griffin in the AHL and their season has been officially canceled, that he was expecting to be on the Red Wings for those last, let's say, 11 games if it played out, meaning that he believes there's going to be an expanded rosters. And, and I would imagine that that is probably one thing that we're going to have to see because obviously in this, and, and you know, we're human beings, everybody gets injured, so... This could be a very uh, expanded uh, uh, roster, as I said. And then looking into next year with the AHL being such a ticket revenue generated sport and there's no fans, could we see the NHL play under this scenario? Because, you know, with television money and contractual obligations that uh, instead of the 23-24 man roster, that we could see expanded rosters where a minor league team is almost up with the big league club. I mean, there's a lot of things to think about here. Well, there really is. And, and, and that's the going forward portion of, of things, Art. And, you know, trying to, you know, can the American Hockey League continue on with a, with, with a schedule, uh, as you say, economically driven by ticket sales, 
you know, is, is that viable for their league? And, you know, so, you know, what does that mean? What, what does it mean with a compressed schedule, you know, in terms of player injuries? And so this is, when I talk about collaborating between the NHL and the NHLPA, those are, the, those are significant, significant things that have to be discussed and, and addressed. Because, you know, you're, you're compressing things and, you know, you don't want to run yourself short. It, it, it impacts the salary cap. It, it impacts uh, uh, how you deal in terms of rehabbing. It, it, there's, there's a development component to this. So you start to consider all these things, and, and, and this, is, this is one part of it. You have to look at some, some things and some solutions uh, to address them because we just can't go forward in, in, in the short term. And that short term might be through the completion of the 2020-2021 season before we can get back to a rhythm that everybody's been accustomed to and, you know, go from there because uh, you're putting too much stress, I think, on, 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 the, on the players, on the teams. And economically, if, if teams can't, in the minor leagues, can't do it, you're going to have to find some some solutions to address that. Craig, I want to move move on because, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll just come straight out. Do you think that eventually, regardless of this current proposal as it is right now with a 24-team playoff in the play-in system to, to whittle it down to 16 with, uh, with uh, eight series essentially that are best three out of five, do you think that this is the – this is where the NHL is eventually going to be, regardless of how the particulars are figured out. Yeah, I think so. I think that this is the one that has traction. I think this is the one that that works, uh, you know, for, 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 for more people rather than less. And, you know, with the input from the players and, and from the NHL teams. And, and, and keep in mind, the broadcast uh, uh, stakeholders are, are significant in this. So, you know, when, when people can kind of wrap their arms around an idea, I think this is the one that uh, even with physical distancing, they'll be ready to wrap their arms around this one. Right. And with, with that said, then let's move to the, uh, to the NHL draft. I know that you were on the word on Woodward uh, 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 last week and we, and we talked about, uh, or maybe now two weeks ago, uh, but uh, when we, we talked about the draft and, you know, obviously because, I was a bit of a homer here. I like this current proposal of moving the draft up and the Red Wings could fall no further than, uh, than number two. But if you look at this, you could have a team like if Montreal beats Pittsburgh, let's say, you know, Montreal's record is nowhere near as good as the Penguins uh, or point-wise, I, I think, of the way it, it shakes out. Uh, how does that affect the draft? Or do you think that we're looking at two separate issues because Gary Bettman, if he wants to draft in early June, which I'm pretty sure obviously is not going to happen now, but let's say right around the time it would have been in Montreal in, in, uh, in, uh, in like uh, late June, let's say in Montreal, uh, that he can, he can make the draft whenever he wants. I mean, it's pretty much up to him. He can just say, we're doing the draft. How do you think that this system, this will affect it? Will this impact, I guess, when the NHL holds their draft? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I I, I think that number one. I think that uh, you know. I I think the solution in my mind uh, for the draft is the set. If we're going with the 24 team return to play proposal, then the only seven teams that are eligible for the lottery are the ones that don't participate. Mm -hmm. So that would be Detroit, Ottawa, uh, the three California teams, 
uh, who am I? Buffalo and New Jersey, right? right. So, right. so, so, so that would be those would be the teams. Now, so so you can have a draft up to seven, but you're going to have to have somebody pick eight. And if you have 24 teams, and this is the way I this is what 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 I would do is okay. So you go through that first eight, those first eight series, the three out of five play in. The eight teams that are that lose, they are placed in inverse order of their of their points percentage. Right, right. Of their points. So, so whoever is the whoever had the worst points or point percentage based on the uh, regular season got knocked out. They'll pick eighth and they'll pick ninth. Now, sh- sh- sure, we could we could have a team like Pittsburgh who is just a uh, you know uh, fifth in the East. Yeah, they could lose to Montreal. And so what the what but that would all be dependent. Would they be picking eighth? I don't think so. But they could be picking thirteenth. But they wouldn't be part of the lottery in my in my idea. Only the seven teams that didn't get to participate get to be part of the lottery. Right. I mean, I I mean, I kind of like that idea too. You know, obviously, Red Wing fans are you know lamenting the fact. I mean, you know, the joke around Detroit is is people that really know the draft and follow it since the Red Wings have gone down each and every time that they've qualified for the lottery is that they're going to end up picking fourth no matter what. Uh, that's why when you hear a proposal that says they could go no further than two, uh, it's pretty enticing. But do you think then a decision on the draft will be made when it's going to be after they decide if they're going to do this 24-team uh, playoff format? Yeah, I think I, I think that they're down a path of, 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 of an acceptance of the 24 return-to-play uh, proposal. And then they're going to work on timing. They're going to let you know – what are the safety protocols which can be done? Then what's the timing of that? And then I think that they can look now, okay, where does it make sense to, to have a draft? Where, where do you want to have it? I would have to think that it's going to be real. If you're going to have a return to play format like they're going to have, I think it's going to be very difficult to have a draft before you get through pretty much the completion of that. I, I, I just don't see how you can. Now, now, I understand that, you know, if this starts in the, in the middle of July and now we're into August, that, that, that the young players want to have some certainty about, you know, who's drafted them. So what you may have to do is, is do it in, 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 a, in a period. Once you establish your, your, your 15, let's call them the non-playoff teams, then you just put everybody in, in inverse order of their points and 16 to 31, and you could have a draft perhaps right in that period of time. But I, 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 until you get to, uh, uh, I, I think, to 15 teams and, and, and get that, that, that first 15 in order, I don't think you can have a draft until that's established. Uh, when you look at it this way, and if, if this proposal is adopted, and as, as we've been talking about, we think that is some, it's going to be adopted in some way, shape, or form, pretty much what, 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 what is being bandied about right now. Um, do, you, do you see, uh, because of now all the health issues and all the, you know, we, we have players in Europe, the, the, the border between the, uh, America and, and Canada isn't open. It's been extended well into June. Uh, maybe everybody gets, a, you know, an exemption because they have, uh, uh, they're not health workers per se, but they're essential as far as getting these leagues back up and running. And I think that it would be good to people would like to see some sports. But 
do you think that even if they adopt this, if they can't work a lot of things out or this pandemic, uh, you know, heaven forbid, comes back quicker than everybody thinks, or at least the second wave, that there's still kind of a drop dead date in your mind that regardless, if they're not playing hockey by a certain time, they just better think about let's get free agency together, let's get the draft together, and let's just look towards playing next season. I totally agree, Art. I think that that's another part of the timing. And, 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 and a significant part of that timing is going to be, you know, what is occurring health-wise? Where, what, what is happening with the pandemic? What is happening with the spread? Or are they limiting it? How, how much testing has been available to the overall population? What is the contact tracing? So those are, those are all the things. And, you know, we've, we, we've heard Dr. Fauci talk consistently about we have to follow the virus. We have to follow the virus. The virus will give us a lot of uh, information about what we can do and, and perhaps what we can't do. So with that being said, and, and knowing that there's a timing w with that, th there has to be some sort of a drop dead date uh, w w when, you're, when you're dealing with something like this because the virus isn't gonna say, guess what? Uh, I'm going to be done by August 1st, so you can carry on there. Right, right. And, and, and so it, knowing that and, and, and acting upon the information that's being gathered on a continuous basis, then you can get to the time. And, and, and it may come to a point, Art, that you have to say, hey, listen, we tried our very best and we, we just can't make it happen. And, 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 and that, that will be done knowing that everybody put forth a great effort and exhausted many different uh, potential solutions. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly I'd, I'd love to see it, but, you know, you've got to be realistic about this, yes. too. I mean, when you, you know, when you see, you know, you, you know the, the number of people that, uh, that have perished because of this pandemic worldwide and, and nationwide, I mean, you, you know, you've really got to, as I said, you've got to be realistic about it. As much as we like sports, you know, health and safety is, is, is the number one priority. And I commend all the leagues because that's certainly what they're thinking first and foremost, as much as they would like to get back. And, you know, we're talking billions of dollars here. Uh, I understand that the economic impact, it would be good, you know, for mental health too, to have some sports back. But in the end, we have to put it in a context. And, and speaking of that, you mentioned, how do you think that this will affect the players that are eligible for the 2020 draft. I mean, I, I know I've asked you this before that a lot of the work, even though I, you know, we would have had the U18 uh, uh, tournament in, in Ann Arbor and in, in Plymouth this year, really looking forward to that where some of the top guys would have obviously uh, in this year's draft been there. Um, uh, is it going to have a profound effect on the way teams now approach the draft or was a lot of their homework already done i would say art that a lot of their homework has been done obviously you know you want to continue to evaluate you want to build your confidence level with the group of players you're considering at any point in the draft and you know the, you know down the stretch in the playoffs you know championship play certainly offers you glimpses in in into players and, and all teams would like that but Every team is in the same is on the same playing field. Nobody has got an advantage over anybody else because nobody got to do it. Art, I, I would compare it to college graduates, mm -hmm. and you know I have I have I have some nephews and some nieces that are graduating, and 
some of them have had their job offers rescinded. Some of them have had their job offers put on hold. Some of them have had their job offers, uh, you know, carry through. And, you know, the thing with the players is, depending on where you are, if you're playing in Sweden and you're, you're a young player, Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holtz, to name two, you know, they haven't, they haven't shut down, you know, their, their economy like other people have or their country. So could they be playing? Yeah, they could be, but but that's no different than some of the other graduates because mm -hmm. it's different in Sweden. You know, the Bundesliga in Germany uh, restarted last weekend. I watched some of it, and you know, from from a competitive point of view, obviously no fans in the stands, but from a competitive point of view, it was competitive and it was good and tactical and everything that went with it. So you know, like what would happen with German players? You know, we we know about Stutzla, we know about. Uh, Paterka and Reichel, who, who this year's draft. I mean, does that give an option potentially to the Detroit Red Wings to have Mo Sider if they're not starting up in the American League? Could, could he go and play in Germany if they're not? So, you know, the, the professional leagues in, in North America are also watching what's happening over in Germany. They're watching like how other leagues over there are opening up and, and what the impact will be. So, you know, they're I, I think the lack of certainty, you know, it's one thing to not to not know if you can play, but for a lot of these players, it's where am I going to play? Where, where Where is that place where I'm going to go and try to develop? I think that that may be uh, something that's weighing on their minds as much as uh, as anything. What impact do you think it'll have on some of these youngsters? This is a pretty deep uh, uh, draft class. Uh, do you think this layoff, and because of this uncertainty, perhaps there was a player, uh, and I don't want to just name a, 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 a player, but a specific guy that might have had a great opportunity to make his NHL club, but because of this layoff, he may need a little more seasoning. I mean, will you think that that is what we're going to see? Because everybody is so, you know how it is, Craig. You you get somebody in the first round, especially if you're picking in, uh, you know, one of the lottery picks, you're thinking, oh, wow, this guy, from a fan perspective, this guy's going to make it. I mean, I, I think that fans need to temper their emotions to begin with, but they're really going to have to be realistic when they look at the, the players that, when the draft does happen, that eventually will be drafted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's only a handful of players that can come into the National Hockey League under normal circumstances and, you know, get get some traction with their play on the NHL team. I mean, it's it's very different than the NFL draft. So, uh, you know, I think that tempering when you're drafting, uh, tempering expectations when you're drafting 17 and 18 year old uh, players has to be uh, at the front of the mind. And certainly with this situation. You have to look at, you know, you brought up Giovanni Smith earlier. I, I think that there could be a greater impact for those players that have played in the minors, that are tracking really well towards, you know, trying to find a way to the NHL. I, I think it could have a big uh, impact on them, as more so than on the drafted players from the 2020 draft. Because those players, you, you know, you talked about Giovanni Smith having an opportunity to play the last 11 games in Detroit. Well, that, that helps you in your training. Right. That helps you understand, okay, what do I have to do? How hard is the league? Th that's something he goes without. And, and I would imagine, uh, Art, that there's probably four, five, six players in every organization 
that, that are in a similar spot to Giovanni Smith. And, and I, the, the teams know it, the players know it. So this is something that I think has got, a, like can have a really significant impact when we talk about expanding rosters. You know, it, it also factors into the development of these young players and what they're missing to try to realize their goals uh, of playing in the NHL and, and the NHL team's expectations of them playing. Uh, you know, depending on what salary cap scenarios are, you know, what, you know, if you're going to let a free agent go and you want a younger player to step in, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of gaps now in the planning. And again, it's nobody's fault. It's just something that's uh, uh, become a reality because of what's unfolded. When you look at this, uh, at this draft, each draft class is different. I know last year, uh, with the development program in Ann Arbor, uh, the, 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 the U18 team had, I, I believe in the first round, it seemed like 10 or 11 guys drafted. I mean, it was really heavy on, on forwards and just not the Americans had a, a, a great uh, forward group last year. Virtually every country seemed to have a, a bunch of forwards. How would you characterize when it does happen this year's draft? Is, is it heavy in one position or is it uh, talent is spread throughout, uh, uh, throughout uh, you know, from, from the goal crease all the way on out? Well, I only see one number one goaltender, and I mean, there's going to be more, but in the top end of the draft, that's a scar off. You know, it, it's a forward at, at the top end of the draft, and when I talk about the top end of the draft, I'm talking about the first 15 picks. Uh, uh, I mean, it's forwards. It, 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 it's a forward. It's a forward-heavy group, and that's just, you know, the DNA of the 2020 draft. And you know, and, and not just, and, and in my view, not just forwards. I'm talking top line forwards. You know, we, we've talked about Lafreniere, we've talked about Byfield, but but Stutzla and Perfetti and Jack Quinn and Marco Rossi and Lucas Raymond, uh, Alexander Holtz. These are all top line players, all top line players. So you, you know the depth of quality in the in, in, in the in the first 15, 16 picks is, is in the forward group. Jamie Drysdale, Jake Sanderson are two really good defensemen that fall into that group of 15. Uh, in my opinion, Askarov does, but the rest of it is forwards. And I think that that is uh, something that's been established with this group of uh, players eligible for the 2020 draft. Now, you know, you go through the draft and, you know, now you start to see a little bit more defensemen coming about. But, but, but I think there's a real separator in that top 15, in those top 15, 16 players of a couple of defensemen, uh, a goaltender, and the rest forwards. Well, you know, and, and I guess at this point, although a couple of weeks ago, if you would have talked to me, I would have been really psyched with the, uh, the draft happening early on you know, June 4th, 5th, 6th, or 7th, whenever, and, and the Red Wings could fall no further than two. Uh, uh, you know, I guess at this point, I, I think that's probably a pipe dream. But let's get into some of these specific players. We've talked about them. I know from your appearance on the Wood on Woodward, uh, Alexi Lafreniere, the thing that when you talked about him then, and, I, and obviously I want you to elaborate a little bit on him now, but when you told me that you think as a rookie he can get 60 points in the NHL, which I'm looking at, if the Red Wings are fortunate to get him, uh you know, he could he'd be he could even lead the team in scoring as a rookie. Uh, although I think everybody else would get better. Manth is going to be healthy, hopefully, for the whole year. But with all that said, Lafreniere is by far one of those really, really special players. He, he, he is, Art. And, you know, when you look at his resume, three years in junior, 
I mean, he he is he he's been a dominant player, he, and you know from day one in the in the Quebec League, you know he he's the first sixteen year old player in the Quebec League rookie to score forty or more goals since Sidney Crosby. So I mean, okay, so let's put him in that category, right? right. Then you then you start to think about what he did at international tournaments. He he went to the U eighteen as an underage dominant player. Halenka tournament, MVP, dominant player. World Junior, dominant player, MVP. CHL player of the year is an underage. My expectation, he's going to be the only, he's going to join Sidney Crosby as the only two-time CHL player of the year. <laughs> he's <Wow>. special. <laughs> and not only, you know, he, he, he's not just a talented player. He, he's a player that in, in the, in the, you know, we talk about really important players and gifted players, but in the most important games at the most important times, Alexi Lafreniere always, always is at the forefront, always, and he and he has been, and I don't think there's going to be any doubt that he's going to be the same player in the NHL. Well, you know, you talked about it, and obviously he's performed well at every uh, at every venue, and he's going to be the number one overall pick, whomever gets him. We 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 know that, but. Uh, he seems to, uh, and I, you know, Joe Valeno, a Red Wing, high Red Wing prospect, uh, played with him for the last couple of years on Team Canada and also played against him in the queue, uh, absolutely loves him. They're pretty close friends, and he just talks about how he's, that he's such a good teammate and he's able to process things that, you know, you wouldn't know when he, that he would be the number one overall pick. He doesn't, you know, he just goes out and plays the game that he loves and has passion for it. He's not going to walk into, uh, uh, like, the big men on campus kind of uh, uh, mindset. He's just going to go in there, whomever drafts him, hopefully the Red Wings, and boom, uh, he's just going to go play hockey. And, and, and that's what he does. And, 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 and he's, he's adaptable. He's versatile. You know, you talk about processing. The, the, the way he carries himself on the ice and off the ice, he, he, he just adapts. He adjusts to, to, to what the requirements are, to what the demands are. And he does it, he makes it look easy, but you know it's not easy. And, you know, you think about players, and, and I use the term, they're dialed in. They're dialed into what's happening at that particular moment in time. That's Alexa Lafreniere. He, he, he just has that innate ability this is what's happening now. This is what I need to do. He's not thinking about what just happened. He's not thinking about what could happen. He's going to deal with the here and now. And I think that, 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 that that's a special quality in Alexi Lafreniere. Well, it'd be great if the Red Wings could get him. Obviously, that would, yes. uh, that would you know, the, the, the rebuild. You know, a city like Detroit, obviously, uh, you know, to, to, to get a player like him with some of the young core players that they already have. Um, that would, uh, I'm sure it would put a smile on Steve Eiserman's face. Uh, let's get to another uh, uh, player that has really been moving up the charts uh, uh, here, and that's Tim Stutzla from Mannheim. Uh, you know, versatile uh, winger. He can play center as well. Uh, I, I would imagine that, uh, and, and don't put it past Steve. I mean, I, I think Lafreniere is first no matter what, but if the Red Wings have the second pick, this could be a guy that could be wearing the red and white. Well, I mean, Tim is a very gifted player, and you know, he, he was always a center. He played this year as a 17 and 18 year old in the in the in the German Pro League, the DEL. But he played the wing, and that happens with younger players. But to, to me, you can play him anywhere. He he he's he's such a 
a creative, imaginative player. And he, Art, he reminds me so much of Patrick Kane in his ability to, to be thinking uh, not only two and three steps ahead, uh, like in terms of what can happen and what the next plays are, but, but he also has this, this great ability to have a, a wide uh, view of the game. So like something that somebody else might not see, he considers it. And, you know, that, that uh, I call it 360-degree awareness, and he, he has that. And, you know, when the puck's on his stick, he, he wants to make things happen. And, you know, he reminds me in terms of his – he doesn't play like Peter Forsberg. But Peter Forsberg never waited for the game uh, to, to, for him to tell him what he was going to do. He started the game, and he dictated, this is what I'm going to do, stop me. And that's how Stutzla plays the game. He doesn't dip a toe in the water. He grabs the game by its throat and says, shake me off if you can, but I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I, 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 you know, obviously playing for Mannheim, uh, you know, Red Wings are familiar with uh, uh, the same club that obviously uh, Mo Sider played for last year. And Sider has been, I'm not even going to say it's that much of a stretch when the Red Wings drafted him. I know he was moving up the charts, but, oh, yeah. you know, he has performed very, very well uh, his first year as a pro. Another guy that's very, very interesting, Red Wings, as you said, Stutzla had played center until he moved into the uh, German professional ranks. But Quinton Byfield, one of the youngest players uh, in this draft, six foot four, uh, a, a center. He also played on Team Canada last year, but I think like Lafreniere and what Joe Valeno experienced their first year, it's a kind of an older players tournament. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe he didn't have a great, because uh, uh, the biggest knock I hear about him, well, in the World Juniors, he wasn't very good. Uh, but this kid's a real, real good player. And if the Red Wings end up getting him, uh, you know, this is this is definitely a number one center of the future for them. No question. And, and let me, I've watched Quinton play since he was in midget hockey. And uh, I think I've said this to you before, Art. I, I, I don't think that Quinton is yet at the point where he knows how good he can be. He's good. Mm -hmm. He's talented. And, and he works and he wants to be a, a top-end player. But, you know... When, when, when you're developing and you're getting comfortable with who you are as a player and what you're capable of doing, I saw it like, you know, you go back and look at Marc Messier. Marc Messier was, was, a, was a good, strong, young player. But, but, but he didn't really understand how to impose himself and how to take all those elements, the, the skill and the power, and, and make it... Uh, like make himself an opposing figure in the game. It took him some years in the NHL, but once he did, there was no stopping him. And I think Quentin is, is in a similar place with respect to that development process. And, and, and it's going to take some time. You point out that he's a younger player. I don't think he's anywhere near ready to play in the NHL. I think he needs to go back and play junior. And you talk about the world junior. So Quentin is a 16-year-old was not a dominant player at the under 17. He just wasn't. He was good, but he wasn't dominant. As a 17-year-old at the Halenka uh, Gretzky, he wasn't a dominant player. He was good, but he wasn't dominant. Last year at the World Junior Tournament, it, it, was, it was beyond him. He wasn't capable of finding a way to contribute. That doesn't mean he doesn't have tremendous uh, potential. He does. But, you know, if, if you go back and understand where he's been at, at all these stages, 
you know, it, it was it, it would have been a surprise to me if he would have been able to, you know, find a way to contribute at the World Junior Tournament. And, you know, it, it, it's not a knock that he couldn't. It was just where he's at. I, I suspect that him going back next year will be a dominant player. And now coming into the league as a 19-year-old, he, he, he could make a real contribution. I mean, he's got hands like Evgeny Malkin, and he's got a determination to play in all the areas of the game like Anze Kopitar. And those are two Hall of Famers. And at the very least, and, and I've said this about Quentin, I think at the very least, you're getting Sean Couturier. Well, if your upside is Malkin, Kopitar, and, you're, and, you're, and, the, and, the, and the very least you're going to get a Sean Couturier, how can you go wrong? Well, no doubt. I, I mean, you know, certainly it, it looks like because the Red Wings are going to fall no further than four uh, uh, that, 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 that they're going to get a, a good quality player. And now uh, the fourth one, I want to I, I want to throw a defenseman in there uh, because he might be too good to pass up. And that is Jamie Drysdale. Uh, here is a fellow that, you know, has number one defenseman labeled all over him. And, you know, you put in Mo Sider and then, you know, Jarek McIsaac and uh, Gus Lindstrom, who played very, very well, and, and some of the other Red Wings uh, uh, prospects that they have. You add a Drysdale to this mix, this could be a pretty good uh, defensive unit for the Red Wings in a relatively short period of time. Well, and, and, and just quickly, when you watch how, how, how much Philip Hironic developed right, over right. the course of the year, right? I mean, exactly. I mean, he's, I mean, he looks like a player that's going to be right there. So if you think about a right-side defense of Sider, Ronick, Ronick and uh, Hironic and Drysdale, that's pretty impressive. Now, Art, you've watched a lot of players over time. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the big things, uh, you know, defensemen, as good as they are coming out of the amateur ranks, whatever those ranks are, they have so many, so many, most of them have to learn so much of the time what they can't do once they get to the NHL. That's part of their developmental sequence of, okay, this is what I could do when I was younger. I can't do those same things now at the NHL level. And that's Jacques Laperriere told me uh, often, you know, young defensemen, even if they're in the NHL, are still apprenticing up until about the age of 23. And then after that, how much they've learned will determine how good they're going to be. I've watched Jamie Drysdale from a midget player be an offensive dynamo because he was he's a great skater, he's great with the puck, really smart. And so, of course, you're going to do that because that's, that, that, that's what you were capable of doing. His game, from the time he became a junior in Erie at 16 till now, two years, his game has evolved so much. I, I just... I'm so impressed with how much he has learned what he can't do, which takes players to uh, so, it, it's just normal that it takes them longer rather than a shorter period of time. You call him a number one defenseman, I think he's a clear cut number one. I don't think there's any situation that he can't excel in and he makes the game look easy so much of the time. I was fortunate, I got to be around Sergei Zuba for a lot of years in Dallas. That Drysdale reminds me of Sergei Zuboff. And, you know, didn't matter where, where he played, he played in an elite level and he could play in every situation. And I don't know where you find those guys aren't, uh, they're rare. Yeah, they definitely, definitely are rare. Uh, I want to jump uh, around a, another forward uh, who uh, plays right down the road here in Saginaw, and that is Cole Perfetti. Uh, 
uh, you know, I, I, again, depending on where the Red Wings draft, and, you know, and I'm not saying that Cole couldn't be a Red Wing, uh, what can you tell us about him? Well, I, I, I think Cole uh, arguably is the smartest player in this draft. And, you, you know, if you go and you watch players, and, you know, you, we talk about processing speed, you know, if, if you can't process the game at, at, at rapid speed, you could be a great skater, you could be a great stick handler, but you're never going to be able to uh, take full advantage of those skills. Cole sees the game and like, he, like you know, you talk about play, some players are playing checkers, others are playing chess. Uh, I would say that Cole's a master chess player and he, he speeds up, he slows down, the puck's on his stick, he knows how to make plays, he's competitive, he, he's an incredibly difficult player uh, to deter. Because he's always thinking and he's always, he always gets players, opponents in a position where he's taking advantage of them and, and he gets them vulnerable. And I think that's an unbelievable quality uh, for, for players. And, you know, when you, when Dougie Waite, Dougie Waite was like that. Dougie Waite wasn't a fast skater. But Dougie Waite would get the puck into areas where you couldn't get it from him. You were back on your heels. And then before you know it, you know, goals were ensuing or scoring chances were being created. Cole has a very similar ability in that regard. And, you know, he was a center playing on the left wing. I like him as a winger. And I think that that's where he's going to find himself ultimately at the NHL level. But... Those those qualities of being able to play in tight areas and in, 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 in traffic and to be able to process the game at an exceptionally fast rate, I, I think that just bodes well for a very successful NHL career. When when you look at, I I wanted to go and as I said, the Red Wings probably are going to fall no for, further than four. Uh, we've already mentioned him, but I know a guy who really had a, a little bit of a coming out party last year. I believe in the U18 tournament and has just looked absolutely fantastic. It is a goaltender, uh, Yaroslav uh, Askarov. Uh, do you think, Craig, that four might be too high for him, or is he just that good that Steve could be tempted to nab him? <laughs> I think anybody should be tempted. You know, a lot of times, Art, in scouting, you know, there's a lot of time spent, oh, is this guy better than that guy? Can we take a goalie? Should we take a defenseman? Should we take a center? I really believe that, you know, with the exceptions of Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, you know, where it's clearly, clearly defined that one is better than the other, that now it comes down to, okay, what are the strengths of the various players that you have in this group? And, and that group could be four, it could be seven, whatever. So we just talked about uh, five players. So now we start to talk about Askarov. If you, to me, if you evaluate the players and you look at Perfetti and you look at Byfield and you look at Stutzla and Lafreniere and Drysdale, and you go, okay, this is what they offer and this is what we project them to be and this is how we, we think they, they can contribute to our team. It's the same with a goaltender. And I think what you have to be able to get to is say, okay, after you go through that evaluation and, and, and it's thorough, you, you now say, what do we want? Who do we want? Like, and, and then that becomes the case for a defenseman or a goaltender. You know, Carey Price was the fifth overall pick in 2005. And Ascarf is the best goaltender I've seen entering a draft since Carey Price. Wow. He's that good to me. And when, when you consider what he's done in his career, 
uh, to this point in time. It, it is massively impressive. And again, we can look at the World Junior and say he wasn't great. Carey Price at the U18 in his draft year in April 20, 2005 was not very good, but it wasn't about one tournament. And so I think you, when you look at it, and if you think that Yaroslav Askarov can be a number one goaltender with star ability, and, you, and, and that's the guy you want, you just take him. If you start to go, well, you know, this player, you know, it's going to take Askarov a little bit longer. We think this player could be every bit as good, and we really feel strongly about that player in that position. That's what you do. So I never, honestly, I've never gotten caught up in this, uh, is it too high? It's too high if, if the player doesn't fit with the quality of player you're considering in that group. If it doesn't, position doesn't matter. Well, I, I, you know, I, I've always liked your philosophy, and obviously we've talked for years now, so, I, so I, I know exactly where you're coming from, and I like the way that you're, you're able to hone right in. And uh, I would imagine, based on perhaps maybe taking Mo Sider last year and Steve's draft history and the way that he's plucked gems out of the second and third round when he was at Tampa, that no one should be surprised if – at number four, if they fall to four, I think the top three guys would be really tough to pass uh, pass up in Lafreniere, uh, Stutzel, uh, or Stutzel, pardon me, in, in Byfield, and, and maybe even Jamie Drysdale. But I wouldn't be too surprised if he does take him at four. I mean, he you know he has that kind of uh, uh, mentality. He's a little bit of a risk taker as a general manager. Well, you know what? You just made what I think is is an outstanding point. You just talked about drafting players in the second and third round, okay? So the Red Wings have picks, high picks, right? right? And right. I think there's really good players available. So when we start to consider, you know, what your options are, so, so let's look past that first pick, and let's say you're coming down to that decision, and, and you say, and th they feel that there's players, you know, available in the second rounds, in the third rounds, that can be really good, let's say Braden Point good. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, so, right, like who, who Steve drafted in the third round in Tampa Bay, right? You start to go, well, wait a second. Why, why, why can't we get that player that might be as good as or close to Cole Perfetti then and we get our goaltender? And, and, and I think that that's something that has to become part of the equation. People get, pe people get focused in on the top end of a draft but, but the decisions that are going in at any particular point in time are also predicated on what you can have available or what you value deeper into the draft. And certainly, I, I don't think you have to look very far. Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, uh, who were drafted. I mean, they're stars. Drafted in the second and third round, Kucherov and Point, respectively, to, to, to know that that is something you have to, you have to keep in mind when you're considering who you're taking at any point in the draft. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but one player that has been really going up on the board, uh, I, I think you might have had him ranked in, in Craig's list uh, uh, back in the middle of the year at number 20, and he's now all the way up to number six, and that's Jack Quinn. I think he's the best goal scorer in the draft, uh, Art. Uh, like Cole Caulfield last year, I think he's clearly established himself as, as that player. Uh, you know, Jack... You know, having watched him for two and a half years, I, I'm just fascinated with his development. And, you know, a big part of it is, is you know, as he, as he physically matured, 
he was able to do more things in the game. And when he's able to do more things in the game, he was able to produce more. And as he produced more, he, he gained more confidence and it became a vicious circle. And he's not just a one-trick pony scorer. He can score in multiple ways. Uh, you know, Andre Torigny has him killing penalties in Ottawa, and he's a very good penalty killer. He, he's got some thickness to him when, you know, when he's going he's gonna to attack uh, to the net and push defensemen there to try to score. But, but he can score, like, in so many different ways, and he doesn't just have to score in one particular area of the ice. He, he reminds me of David Pasternak. Because he can also make plays. Wow. And, you know, and, and, and when I say David Pasha, I'm talking about type of player. And, and that to me is, is, is Jack Quinn. And, you know, I, I, if, if he continues, if he only improves at a quarter of the rate that he improved at over the last year and a half, he's going to be a terrific NHL player. Well, that, you know, that, that brings, uh, you know, music to my ears because obviously the Red Wings need goal scorers. Uh, you know, this team, uh, you know, it, it was tough for them to put the puck in the net. I, I know Anthony Mantha, a healthy Anthony Mantha, as I like to call him, the BT Express, Big Tony. If he's healthy, uh, you know, the, 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 their goal total will go up significantly. But with that said, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, we, we've touched upon a couple of other players. Uh, get some of maybe the top forwards and then some sleepers because the Red Wings, as you said, they have a first-round pick, which could be no lower than four for the draft holds like it is right now three in the second round and then two in the third round so they have a lot of in a conditional pick in the fourth round however that's going to be decided which they got for Mike Green um, and they trade their fourth pick away for uh, uh, for Adam Ernie to Tampa Steve did that but with all that said another guy that uh, you know is Marco uh, is Marco Rossi also a center not the biggest guy in the world but highly skilled yeah, and, and you know he's one of those players that that I think could be uh, ready for the NHL next season, uh, because he, he's mature. He's mature physically and he's mature mentally. He 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 really he understands the strengths of his game. He understands how, how to take advantage of those strengths, and he, he does it at a high end. Already reminds me of Nicholas Backstrom of the of the Washington Capitals. Whoa. Yeah, that ability to make plays. And, you know, Nicholas has always been viewed as a playmaker, but I think he's a sneaky good goal scorer. And I think he's been encouraged to shoot a little bit more. And he, he's had a little bit more success in that regard. And, and, and Marco can score. But, but when you talk about threading the needle, making plays, and getting the puck on the sticks – of players that are in really good position to take advantage and you know he's he's excellent at pulling opponents to him and and creating that 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 space for others and then he can execute but he and he's, he plays with such tremendous poise and confidence in the game and that that's why he reminds me in terms of the way he plays to Nicholas Backstrom but you know you're looking at a number one center I have no doubt about it Wow. And, you know, again, center is a position where I think yeah. the Red Wings would like to would really like to to shore up a little bit. And then they can move some of their other uh, guys that are playing center now, maybe to the wing. And, you know, yeah, you get stronger and stronger and stronger, obviously. And, and if they can uh, up that center position, I know that that is uh, uh, an area of need. A guy that we've talked about a little bit, I saw him play at the summer showcase uh, is Lucas Raymond. Uh, very intriguing player. I mean, I. Uh, I think at the showcase last year, Craig, where, you know, you were on the podcast back then too, uh, that, 
Uh, you know, he was really considered maybe to be in the Lafreniere class, if I may say that. I mean, he, he went in with a lot of credentials. Yeah, he did, and, and those credentials ha haven't diminished. You know, uh, you know, I'm going to start right with the comparable type. He, he reminds me a lot of Mitch Marner. Wow. And, and Mitch, like Mitch, Lucas is incredibly confident holding the puck. He's incredibly confident holding the puck in traffic with opponents, you know, closing in on him, even being on him. And where it looks like an opponent has him negated, you don't because he's always able to have his hands free and get the puck into positions where he can make a play. And he's got this great maneuverability with his pivoting and his agility and his footwork to, to, to be able to be elusive and strong on his feet. And Lucas... You know, he, he was he had an illness before the World Junior. And, you know, leading into the World Junior, he, he got healthy, but he'd lost a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. He was good at the World Junior. He wasn't great. And then obviously playing in for Lunda, a great program. He, he didn't have as much traction with the big team. And, you know, there was this back and forth about does he play in the junior team and up and whatnot. Lucas Raymond is a really, really good player. And, you know, we're talking about all these players. And, and, and again, so you got Marco Rossi, you got Jack Quinn, you got Lucas Raymond, you got Cole Perfetti. Like, I think they're all good. I can put a number beside them and say, okay, here's who I think is one, two, three, and four. But Art, if, 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 we, if I did that and you told me, hey, Craig, the fourth guy should be one, I, I couldn't make an argument with you. Because I think that that's how good they are. And, and, and when we talk about the quality of player, the, the four guys I just mentioned, I mean, I, they're high quality. Like I said earlier, first-line players, offensive producers, that's what I see. Well, I know you said that it's really deep in forwards, and uh, you were talking up to the, the first 15 picks. Uh, let's go with another Swede then, Alexander Holtz. I know you mentioned him briefly, but, uh, but, but again, uh, you know, and we're talking about very young men here, and, you know, and I, and I want to try to keep a lid on it, although I'm excited. At this point, after talking to you, Craig, whomever the Red Wings draft I'm really excited about because – Chances are you and I have talked about him, but uh, but, but 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 Holtz is uh, Holtz is you know a good player in his own right. I mean you know he's a left wing and you know he's uh, you know he's a he's a crafty little guy and he's not he's that a, little. <laughs> he's a shooter and he's a really good goal and he's a he's a he's a determined goal scorer. He, he reminds me of Philip Forsberg in the way he plays the game. So, you know, he's got that drive to shoot the puck. He's got the drive to go to the net. And, you know, he, he, I'll tell you, he is a very difficult player to mark and then a very, very difficult player to keep under wraps because he, he, he's quick in his mind and recognizing a scoring opportunity. And then he, he just will not be deterred. He just won't. He just doesn't allow himself to be denied. And, you know, in and around the net, you know, there's one thing to be able to score – but, but you got to be able to score inside the dots. you got to be able to score uh, in and around the net. And Alexander Holtz has those qualities. And, you know, we go back to scoring and the importance of scoring. You know, if everybody could do it, you know, it, it wouldn't be something that everybody's looking for. The problem is, is that not a lot of players can score. So when you do see these players like Holtz, you have to give them every consideration. I mean... You play him with a good playmaker that can get him the puck. He's going to get open. He's going to take it to the net. He's going to finish. So you look like if, if I looked at a, at a, at a setup of a, of a player like a Marco Rossi, a, an excellent playmaker, 
that distributes the puck and creates offense and a shooter like Alexander Holtz, wow, would that be a dynamic duo? Wow, yeah. I mean, I would, uh, I, I would definitely love. Uh, I, I would love to see that. Yeah, you know, a player who has really went up on, went up on your board. And I know he's a defenseman, but you know he plays for the uh, uh, development program in, in the United States. And uh, you know that's Jake Sanderson. Uh, he, uh, I, I, I don't know if, depending on if he were to fall, I think he'd almost have to fall to the Red Wings in the second round. I don't think that they would use one, you know, if they go to fourth or whatever. But here is a kid who has really started to uh, uh, really, t- people are starting to take, not that they didn't before, but they're really starting to take notice of him. Well, l- let me tell you this. I- I'm going to share, I'm going to share a little secret with you. Arthur. All right. Okay. So I've watched Jake play since he played bantam hockey in Calgary. So, you know, his father, Jeff, played in the NHL mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, uh, Jake was playing here and then he goes to the National Team Development Program. So, you know, after the World Junior, we come back and, you know, doing a number of things and, you know, we put out a, we, we put out a midterm list. And, of course, I look at the list and, and, and find, uh, you submit it and you do it and you're kind of doing some things by... Uh, wrote and you're just kind of in a rhythm. Jake Sanderson should have been 13th on my list at midterm, but somewhere along the line, uh, I I missed, I I ended up putting him at 33. (laughs) (laughs) Like a a, a complete, complete mistake, complete mistake on my part. So I'll fast forward to the, to the all American prospects game. Right. And Jeff, who I know his father, Jeff says to me, he goes, 33, really? I said, Jeff, I'm just going to tell you this. I completely dropped the ball. <laughs> but that's what happened, okay? And it was too late, and I just said, okay, I'll just live with the fallout and everything with it because it, it had been up, and it was, just a, it was just a colossal mistake. I didn't double-check my work, but I've watched Jake for a long time. And, you know, if you go back to the under-17 tournament, uh, when he was 16 years old, I had him as one of the one of the really good players available for the 2020 draft, and nothing changed that. Uh, he's been a player that makes the game look easy. I don't think he's going to be a, a high high uh, offensive point producer, but he's going to be a top pair defenseman that that moves the puck up the ice, that contributes offensively, that defends, plays on the penalty kill, and and just one of those players that you talk about a workhorse on the blue line, to me, he's going to be one of those players. And he reminds me so much of Mark Edward Vlasic or Jonas Brodeen, who plays in Minnesota. And and people go, well, that's just what I see in him. And and, And I think those are top pair defensemen that have excelled in, in their roles. And, you know, if Jake shows he's got a little bit more offense, well, then he'll be a, he'll be a little bit more than that. But I'll take a top pair defenseman like Jake uh, every day of the week. You know, I, I want to ask you a couple, about a couple of more players and then uh, maybe some sleepers and uh, get your thoughts on the Red Wings here. I know you've given us plenty of your time uh, uh, today, Craig. Uh, Craig Button joining us here on the Red and White Authority. Uh, uh, I, 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 another guy who, uh, you know, and a lot of them are centers, or you know, and I guess that position could change. But uh, I, I'm going to call him Hendricks because I love Jimi Hendrix. But uh, Hendricks <laughs> Lapierre, if I'm saying that that correctly, but uh, you know, plays in the queue. Uh, he looks like he could be a, a pretty good player too. Uh, I have no doubt in my mind that he can be a really good player. I mean, Hendricks 
had some uh, concussion issues. And, you know, he, ha he hadn't played since November 21st. But, uh, like, you know, if, if he – if you're satisfied with the medical report on him, and I have no reason to believe that teams won't be based on what I know the, 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 that he's gone through and, and, and what I've learned – uh, I think Hendricks Lapierre is an outstanding player. He reminds me of Patrice Bergeron. He controls yeah. the game. And, you know, I was talking earlier about Byfield in the age group. I can tell you this. At the Halenka Gretzky tournament, which is a significant tournament, it's age group specific, right? Mm -hmm. Like Hendricks Lapierre, Cole Perfetti, and Yaroslav Askarov were the best three players there. There was, there was nobody else that was in their category. And Hendricks, to me... You have to do your work on him from a medical standpoint uh, when you're looking at it because healthy Hendricks Lapierre, and I believe he will be fully healthy, I have no doubt in my mind he's going to be a top-line player in the NHL. Wow, that's, uh, you know, I, I, another guy, uh, Connor Zary, who plays out in the Western League for Kamloops, uh, uh, another center. And, you know, and I guess, you know, you always want to get the best player uh, drafted, but you know when I look at need, and you know I, maybe I, I'm obsessed with the center position this year, but you can never get enough of those. So, uh, how about Connor? Well, Connor, you, you know every year in the draft we do we do something called uh, the Swiss Army knife. What player is a Swiss Army knife? And by that, you know can do so many different things in the in, in the game. And uh, there's two in this draft for me. Connor is one of them. The other player is Maverick Bork, who plays in the Quebec League with Shawinigan. But their ability, Connor, like, he's another player that I've watched for three years. And every time I went back to watch him, it was just like he showed me more. And he, he showed, it, it, you talk about expanding your game. It was just this continuous expanding of his game. And I, skating, scoring, competing, killing penalties, playing left wing, playing an offensive role, shooting the puck, you know, he just has been a player that has continuously just taken each successive step. And, you know, when I watch him play the game, I, I, I'm mesmerized because I, I don't see any area of the game that he comes out and plays in that, that he doesn't make a contribution in. And that might be just as simple as, like, just being a checking winger or a checking center or forechecking. But I think he's he's a terrific player because the other thing about Connor, he's an outstanding skater. So that skating is the foundation of his game, and he really uses it in all areas to impact the game. And you know, I, I mentioned Maverick Bork. You know, mm -hmm. uh, he, he he's another player that you watch and you watch and you watch, and you, you know, there's not a lot of flash and dash with him. But every time you pick up your head, he's got the puck. And if he doesn't have the puck, he's about to have the puck. And if he's and if and, and if he's in a defensive situation, he's breaking up plays. And so, like when I look at Connor and I look at Maverick Bork, I I just see two players that that are so capable of of what I call being that utility knife, what we call the Swiss Army knife type players. You know, a, a player that intrigues me, uh, and that is Tyson Forrester uh, from Barry. I mean, I I yeah, I. You know, I I gravitate. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's almost this is I can't believe I'm I'll admit anything to you, I guess, Craig, is that, you know, something about his name or just something about him. When I read it and I read up a little bit about him, he just seems to stand out to me. Am, am I just uh, uh, just too effusive in my uh, in my praise for him? 
I don't know. I, I'm effusive, so that that would just make me fall into the same boat as you are. That's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind uh, doing that. We could we could share a, a, a labats on a nice there fun summer go. day. All right, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I'm gonna tell you. So Tyson, who you watch, like Tyson is is in that stage of physical maturity where he's not even close to reaching his point of physical maturity. Uh, when I've watched Tyson and I continuously watched him now. He reminds me so much, almost exactly, to Corey Perry at the same stage Ooh. of the game. He might not be as feisty in terms of like chippy like Corey was at the same age, but the way he skates, the way he makes plays, the way he gets around the net, the way he shoots the puck. And much like Corey, there was some questions about Corey skating, skinny guy, and that's the physical maturity part. But I, I think Tyson Forster is a terrific player. Wow. I, that... Like, like he, there will be players drafted ahead of him that he will be much better than in the NHL, I'm convinced. Wow. Well, that's, that, that, that's quite high praise. Uh, as we said, when we look at the Red Wings situation here, uh, I, I think they're going to have like six picks in the top 93 or 94. You throw in the fourth round pick. Uh, you know, that, that, that seven guys that are going to be, uh, you know, well within uh, pretty close to the, the top 100 then for throwing the fourth round, depending on how that conditional pick plays itself out. But, but I, 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 I'm kind of curious, who are some of the sleepers or guys that we can look at? Maybe some, some, you know, hidden gems that, as we've already alluded to, Steve Eiserman seems to find in the draft. Well, you know, and, and, and so, you know, when I do my list, I'm not doing a list that, that's based on who I think or how I think the draft will unfold. It's, it's mm -hmm. players that I think are going to be really good players. And so, you know, you can look back and, you know, I had Braden Point in, in my top 20 players, even though he went in the third round, Kucherov. And, you know, that, that doesn't mean I'm always right. But, you know, th so those, were, th those are where my, you know, sleepers fall into. And, and, you know, you know, you start to think about players that I think could be really terrific. So, you know, Brendan Brisson, like, like, again, he, he's like Connor Zari. I, I watched him when he played at Shattuck and I watched him again, just grow and grow and grow. And every time I go back to watch him play, I'm like, oh, geez, he's taking another step. So uh, you start to think about Brendan now. Does he get down into that category, into that area where the Red Wings are picking early in the second round or somewhere in the second round. But, but, but I think he's a terrific player. I think Daniel Torgerson, a, a big Swedish winger who can score. Now we know Hawk and Anderson does a fabulous job. And I think that a player like Torgerson, he's big, he can score, he pushes himself around the net. And again, another player with a lot of physical maturity ahead of him that could be Tyson Forster might fall into that category. Mm -hmm. I know, I know that, uh, you know, talking to some teams that uh, some teams think that he's terrific and have him a lot higher than other teams. Uh, you go down the Jan Mishak, a Czech who came over and played in Hamilton a really smart, versatile player, can play the wing or center ice. Uh, a Finnish left winger, another big uh, winger, uh, Robbie Yarventi. I mean, he can skate. He, he, he's competitive. And, and just from the time you watch him at 16 to now at 18, you, you, again, I find myself, wow, has he ever progressed? Has he ever moved forward in his game? I, like I think a, like a player like that, uh, and and you, you go down and you start to think, like, Noel Gundler, you may have heard the name. Mm -hmm. He's a Swedish player, terrific goal scorer. 
I mean, there's been some, I don't know what I would call him, some mystery around him. Why hasn't he been named to, to, to national teams? You know, what, what are the concerns about him? But, but there can be no doubt that he's gifted and, and he's a really good goal scorer. So again, we go back to Hawk and Anderson and, and, and the Swedish, uh, uh, the European scouting that he's done over the years to, to such an exceptional level. You know, if anybody's going to know him, it's going to be him. And with three second round draft picks, that's where you can say, listen, let's take a chance right there. You know, that's a player that, you, you know, maybe uh, that, that we can, you know, develop and, you know, everything up to this point in time really doesn't concern us too much. But, you know, he could be because he scores so well and he's such a such a terrific, terrific uh, uh, skill. He has such terrific skill in that area. But that's where your background work comes into play. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be other players that might be a little bit smaller or whatnot. You got to give them a little bit more time to grow. But but those would be a, a handful of the players that I would consider uh, that, that could be into that second round range. You know, Craig, obviously, you know, your, your, your resume is a completely impressive former general manager in the NHL, former director of scouting, uh, you know, a general manager of the Flames. And obviously your work with the Dallas Stars in the scouting department is is almost bordering on legendary, if I may say so. Uh, with all that said, I want you to look at Steve Eiserman and where the Red Wings are at right now. And uh, if you were advising him, and I've never really kind of put you on a spot like this, but uh, what what would you tell him right now if he looks over at the draft table? You know, you're at the Red Wing draft table, or you know, you're on your computer at home, and Steve is at his house here in Detroit, looking, glaring into the screen, and saying, "All right, Button, what do you have for me?" What would you tell him? I think one of the key things, and, and, and you know, I worked with Bob Gainey uh, for ten years, and I think Steve. Uh, looking from the outside in ha has a lot of the same traits. They understand the job of a manager. They understand that not everything is going to be perfect in terms of what you do and how and, and who you select. You're, you're going to have players that you know you thought really highly of that don't turn out to be as good as you thought. You're going to have some players that turn out that are uh, going to be a little bit better than you thought. My my belief is, and I think uh, like I think Steve has clearly demonstrated this in 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 Tampa Bay. He's he's not like drafted Kucherov. Everybody, oh, we're gonna draft a Russian. Right. He's not worried. He drafted Vasilevsky in the first round. He's not worried. He drafted Braden Point. Oh, you're gonna draft a five foot eight centerman. Not worried. He signs Tyler Johnson. Steve has the courage of his convictions, right. and. The only thing that I would, and, and Steve works incredibly hard at it too. He's, it's not just that he has the courage of his convictions. He works hard. He, 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 and, 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 and what he know, and go with what you believe. Right. Trust with what you believe. And, and understand that you've done the work and you put in the, the effort to, to come up with players that you like. Don't be drafting players that somebody else might like. Oh, what about this guy? They have them high. If you don't like them, don't take them. Take the guys you like. And I, I will finish with this with Steve, is that Steve knows what a winning team looks like. He knows what it feels like. He knows what it smells like. And he knows what players are capable of helping them. He understands development and he understands patience, but he also understands there's a certain quality into in, in being a championship team and the qualities that go into players to, to make up that. 
and you got to trust it. Don't don't worry about what outside voices say. Don't worry about you, you're passing on somebody else. You know, Art, you may have heard me this, say this before. I will never say, oh, they went off the board because <laughs> the only board that matters is your own board. It doesn't <laughs> matter anybody else's board and nobody goes off of off the board. It's not like the the Detroit Red Wings are drafting a player and they and they took them they took the 117th guy in the second round they go by their board so when you hear people talk about oh they went off the board no they didn't it's just somebody else's opinion and quite frankly really doesn't matter I love it I I absolutely love that I mean that's uh you know you're uh you're a man of your convictions too, Craig. How has this been for you? How has your uh, job changed? As I said, uh, that you know, I, I would have seen you in Ann Arbor and in uh, uh, our old haunts in Ann Arbor and also in, in Plymouth for the U18s. I know you're doing a lot of stuff for TSN. I know you've taken to Twitter. People are asking you questions. You've got the whole seven-on-seven tournament and all that, all that going on. But uh, has this been a time of reflection for you? Are you bored? Uh, or, or is a business as usual well it's not business as usual and i'm not bored but i i think it's afforded uh, all of us uh, a, a time for reflection uh you know i've said this to a few people you know there's lots of things you, at different points in time you go i i, I want to get this organized or i want to be a little bit better organized in this area and so you know, a lot of times it, it, is it pressing no but is it something you'd like to do so i've been able to do that in terms of different areas of whether it be scouting whether it be in in in, in and uh, depth charts for NHL teams, whether it be trying to evaluate the economics. So that's been something that I've had the time to do that, 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 that I've liked, that, that it's been really enjoyable. And because the NHL season was about 90% complete, because we had a whole year of, of the young prospects playing and, you know, being able, we have a lot to sink our teeth into and we have a lot to talk about. It, it, you know, Art, if this would have, if, if this pause would have happened in September, oh yeah, we wouldn't have had the same uh, opportunity to talk about the players like we have. Like, like, I've seen a lot of the top players for the 2021 draft, but, you know, with, without, in the absence of the Halenka Gretzky tournament this summer, you know, now it's going to require a little bit deeper work in other areas to, to, to get more knowledge on those players. But because I get the opportunity to watch players for two and three years prior to their draft year, you know, and, and you have that recent ability when I talk about Jack Quinn and how much he's improved and Connor Zari and Brendan Breesaw, you have the benefit of watching them over time. I, I, I hope that you know, this pandemic gets under control and we can get back to a, uh, to a sense of normalcy where, we, where I can continue to do those things. But if, if I can't, then that means that uh, we're probably in a different place with respect to uh, the pandemic. And I'm an optimist in believing that uh, we're going to find a way through this and we're going to find a way to come out on the other side of it uh, with some better ways to do things. And get excited about being back in rinks and stadiums and cheering for our teams and, you know, the camaraderie that goes with it. Well, you know, I've, I know I've left you uh, 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 lengthy texts where I said, like, War and Peace, and you called me Tolstoy <laughs> a few times. And But one of my all-time favorite books is uh, Candide by Voltaire, and it's, you know, it, it, 
the, the subtitle is optimism. And, and I'm like you, I'm an eternal optimist. Uh, you know, uh, sure, does everybody, no one likes to be cooped up into their house all the time. And, you know, there's some rules and regulations, I guess, that some people think are constrictive. But overall, we got to just listen. We got to be good citizens. We've got to get through this. And, uh, you know, much sooner rather than later, we'll, we'll all be back to seeing each other and enjoying our lives as we should. And, you know, I want to say one thing to you. Uh, the office that I'm sitting in right now, uh, there's a little overflow from my kitchen, some of the utensils. And right next to me is a crock pot. I'm sitting, I'm, I'm tapping it right now, and I keep saying over and over and over, I've got to get this office organized. I've got to get this office organized. And now I'm at a point where I'm afraid that, you know, everything's going to be back to semi-normal, and this place <laughs> is still going to look the same. I mean, I've got to get myself together. I don't, I, I don't know how do you compel yourself something that you should have done probably eons ago to actually get up and do it. I, I, I don't know if I don't have the self-discipline or whatever is going on there, Craig. So I compliment you on, on trying to get to projects that maybe you should have attended to a, a, a while ago. You know what I, you know, my wife, she, she would like me to do it in a day. I, I just said, if it's 30 minutes that I work on it today, it's 30 minutes that I'm ahead. And then I'll work on it 30 minutes tomorrow. And that's what I would suggest. Just put 30 minutes into it. And then, you know what? You're 30 minutes further ahead than you were yesterday. You know, uh, you know it's, that, it's, it's that old uh, line about the 1,000-mile uh, march begins with the first step. If you don't take the first step, you're never going to get along the way. And, you know... So you try to do that. Now, we talk about optimism. You talk about Voltaire. I'm, I, I, I saw a funny thing a few weeks back with George Carlin. And you may have seen this, yeah. but George Carlin was asked, do you see the world as glass half full or glass half empty? And George Carlin, in his typical fashion, paused and give you that look. And he said, I think there's a half a glass being wasted somewhere along the line. <laughs> you know, I love George Carlin. One of the first uh, uh, albums that, and I, you know, and I do mean albums that I got was an yeah. Easter gift by my mother was uh, Class Clown by George Carlin because oh. I absolutely loved it. I love the hippy dippy weatherman. Hey, tonight's forecast dark, man. You know that. I just thought that that stuff was hilarious, and you know, and uh, but also on that bit that was on that album was the seven words you can't say on yep. television, which is a classic. But you know, and my mother because she knew I liked him, and she, you know she loved me obviously, and I loved her, and you know she knew that it, she, she gave this to me for Easter, and so. So I never played that album when she was in the house because she would have been mortified <laughs> that, you know, the seven words you can't say on television. And, you know, it's a classic bit. I, I recommend everyone, uh, you know, please listen to it. But George Carlin was brilliant. You know, he said a lot of, you know, he, his sportscaster, you know, partial scores, 3-2, 2-1. You know, he'd always do, <laughs> you know, he'd do stuff like that. And it's like, you know, it, it really, he really had an impact on me. As you have too, Craig. As I, I know yeah. I've told you this year, you're a good buddy. Whenever I, uh, I, I call on you, and I call on you probably far too often, but uh, I, I, not only do I appreciate your insight and, and the way, and, and I know that you're respected throughout the league. When NHL teams respect what you have to say, and obviously you've been part of the NHL for a long time, then you're doing it right, and uh, I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, you know, uh, you know I, I love that we're buddies, and you know, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Stay safe to you and your whole family. As you said, we're going to get through this, but I really appreciate you being on the Red and White Authority today. Thank you, Craig. Well, thank you for having me. And you know what? We can talk about hockey, but 
uh, the things that are meaningful or the friendships that evolve over time and remain over time regardless of uh, uh, what happens in between. Yep, definitely. You're one of the best, Craig. Thanks again. Thanks, Arthur.